Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 287 of Linux in the Hampshire. This is our first post-Hamvention episode, and we're probably going to try not to talk about Hamvention anymore, at least for a little while. Uh, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. So, we're actually kind of getting back to normal around here after Hamvention's finally wrapped up, and we can go on. Oh, you mentioned Hamvention. I know I mentioned Hamvention. (laughs) I'm mentioning Hamvention by way of not mentioning Hamvention. There you go. Okay. So, episode two hundred. Oh, by the way, Ham <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, episode number two hundred eighty-seven is one of our short topic episodes. So we're going to dive right into short topics, and I threw in here as a lead topic for tonight the fact that Field Day is coming up. I didn't even really think about this until I just saw it in passing while I was looking for other stories, and realized that we're already into June, and in three weeks. It's going to be field day. Holy crap, it's field day. Anyway, from the field day website, and we're not going to like dwell on this because there will be much talk about field day over the next few weeks. Um, it's a ham radio's open house. Every June, more than 40,000 hams throughout North America set up temporary transmitting stations in public places to demonstrate ham radio's science, skill, and service to communities and the nation. It combines public service, emergency preparedness, community outreach, and technical skills, all in a single event. Field Day has been an annual event since 1933 and remains the most popular event in ham radio. So just remember, participate in ham, you know, in uh, Field Day when it comes up. Go out and sit with a local club or just operate one Delta in your home or whatever you're going to do, but it's coming. It'll be from June 22nd, 1800 Zulu to June 23rd, 2059 Zulu. You don't get that last minute. And, uh, you know, field day. It's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not a contest. That's right. It's not a contest. But it is. But it is. Right. The the most popular Those of us that have been doing it for a long time know, yeah, it it is a contest, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We treat it as such. It's the uncontest. (laughs) Yeah, the uncontest contest. And I just realized that I'm actually going to be camping during field day, which almost never happens. (laughs) So i got to remember to pack all my radio stuff so I can uh, operate uh, most likely one Bravo uh, Montana, so I'll be on battery power from the uh, camper. Oh, very good. Well, maybe I'll have to get on during some of those, what is it, 28 hours? It's 28 hours, or 27 hours. 
when yeah, you get it depends on when you set up. That's the thing. It's so there's there's weird rules. Read the rule book. It's like if you set up the day before, you get less time. If you set up the same day, you get the extended time. Um, at least that's the way it used to be. It always you know is predicated on when you actually set up and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of opportunities for additional points in this non-contest contest by doing other stuff like you know doing a public release or you know and not, not a public release, but what do you call it? it a press release, yeah, press release. <laughs> Bill just popped the top. Yeah, popped the top on a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a completely different mic. I'm in a hotel, so just so everybody knows listening. That I just uh, love that. Yeah. It's funny. It's like it's a press release. Pop. Sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah so you mean pressure only- release? <laughs> pressure release. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, yeah. Check out the rule book and everything else. Uh, it's a great fun event to just get on and even just work a few contacts and make sure you turn in your log and that way everybody else can uh, check against your log. So. All right. Very good. So let's see. Can we get Cheryl to read a story here? This one is probably like pretty straightforward so hang on i have to get back to oh now you have to get back to the ethernet no i'm I'm working on the recipe i know i know it didn't seem like that recipe was that complicated it doesn't have like four ingredients or something in it yes but i'm having to oh right you're doing the translate thing yeah i'm having to translate (laughs) hutch's instructions to actual (laughs) english yeah basically (laughs) so all right so anyway we're going to move on to amateur radio topics and cheryl can cover this First interesting one, a science related one. Ooh, science. Science is good. Uh, So the next story is our sun's mysterious 11-year cycle, possibly driven by planetary. (coughs) (coughs) This may not be a good idea. (laughs) Let, Let me try that again. Usually when I talk, I cough. So our sun's mysterious 11 year cycle, possibly driven by planetary alignment. Every 11 years, the sun cycles through, uh, through from um, riotous flare and sunspot activity to a quieter period before ramping up again. It's almost as if regular as it's wow. It's almost as regular as clockwork. And for years, astronomers have been wondering what causes it. Now they've proposed a new solution. Even though the solar system's planets are much smaller than the sun, the gravity of some of them is able to influence our star's magnetic field. This, researchers assert, is what controls the solar cycle. Venus, Earth, and Jupiter assert a small gravitational tug on the Sun as they orbit it. The result is comparable to the way the Moon's gravity influences the Earth's tides, producing a regularly timed ebb and flow. The team has traced back 11,000 years of solar cycles between the years 1000 and 2009 CE, comparing the data against the movements of the planets in that time. They found an impressively strong link between the two. And the story comes from Science Alert. All right. That's that's actually kind of interesting. I wonder what they mean by impressively strong. I don't know. I haven't read the, the actual original article where they discussed yeah. this, but Yeah, I didn't I didn't read fully into it, but I heard it mentioned uh this this article is kind of like a, there was like a, a, an inkling of the story, and then I saw this article show up uh, just today, so I thought it was interesting enough to take a look at. And uh, now that I see that they went back a thousand years, I'm I'm wondering what was the alignment when we had the Marauder minimum, which was between 1645 and 1715. That would be pretty interesting to see, like uh, what, what caused that long period. 
long period of no uh, sunspots or low sunspots. Maybe there were no planetary alignments. All the planets went awry. They just like <laughs> blew away. They all <laughs> there vac- were no planets. They vacationed in Andromeda for a few hundred years. <laughs> yeah, no, this stuff is always interesting to kind of you know. We always talk about the eleven year cycle like it's a it's a it's a you know given thing and you know it's kind of a thing. It it's kind of a thing. Yeah. If you look at the charts that show the eleven year cycle over many 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 centuries, it's not super regular. <laughs> Yeah, it's like up, down, up, down, but like there's always sort of a peak-ish that follows that cycle, and this is kind of just more interesting stuff, and this just goes to show you that we just really don't know anything about the world and the universe that we live in. <laughs> so, right. we, we, we know very little, very little. So, so yeah, there. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that's an interesting idea. I guess we'll, they'll, now that they have a theory about it, or, or perhaps a hypothesis, they will uh, continue to investigate it and see if it turns into something more concrete. In the meantime, we'll talk about something a little more down-to-earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> a high-altitude research balloon found one year after disappearing. A group of Western University PhD students were taking a research leap of faith and then their bubble was burst, literally and figuratively. Now, one year after their equipment went missing, the data came back. Launched on May 29th, 2018 from River Place Park in Ayton, the balloon was supposed to travel about 70 kilometers and come down in the area of Bellwood Lake Conservation Area in Fergus. And it was being tracked by GPS during its travels. The team had partnered with members of the London Amateur Radio Club, but no one reported finding the unit, and an extensive week-long search was unsuccessful. But club member Doug Elliott had also gone low-tech, writing his contact info on the package. Last week, almost exactly one year later, the radio club member received a call from a farmer. The unit was found about five kilometers from the planned landing area. Wow. That's pretty cool. And I was wondering where this was going to be, but apparently it's in the UK. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of added this story because I think we talked, uh, it must have been a month or so ago now, about uh, the pollution and stuff like that left behind from all these balloons. Yes. And I had actually just talked with uh, Tom, W5KUV, about their balloon launches and how there's already steps in, in, in motion here, legislation to make sending these mylar balloons and stuff like that into the, uh, into the atmosphere or, you know, into, you know, orbit or whatever you want to call it, you know, high altitude ballooning, low altitude ballooning, whatever, uh, uh, outlawed because of the pollution. Cause they just kind of go and they crash somewhere and, you know, some poor, you know, narwhal eats it and dies or something like that. So, yeah, so this, this the whole high altitude ballooning thing could go away. Oh, and what with Google trying to create high altitude balloon mesh networks? That's going to be a real <laughs> kick in the teeth for that project, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the loon project, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess if you can can control the 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 payload and where it goes, and it's not like a fire and forget like a lot of these high altitude balloon things are. Like the, you know, these guys, millions of Chinese lanterns that go up every. <laughs> Yeah, and set yeah. things on fire on their way yeah. back down. Yeah. Well, these are perfectly safe. You get a tiny, like, super flammable piece of rice paper next to an open flame, and you send it up in the air. This is- yeah. <laughs> yeah, into the driest months of the year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been, in this area, they've pretty well, 
they haven't outlawed them, obviously, but they are trying to. Yeah, and they should because be. because I mean, they are stupid. setting farmers' fields on fire and destroying hay crops and stuff. So, yep. And they're just like, we've got to stop these these balloon thingies. So, yeah, you get them like yeah, I, I six cents a piece from Malaysia too. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're cool yeah, going I, I up, would, but yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that we'll see some legislation forthcoming here in the next, you know, six months to a year that'll start making some of these uh, balloon projects a little harder to do. So enjoy it while it lasts, that's for sure. Yep, definitely. All right, Bill, the next one here is is uh, Bill-centric, so we're just going to let you talk about it. Yeah, it's a half a story. I was kind of like uh, just following uh, the guys on Twitter uh, the other day, and I saw that uh, Jeff W4EB had posted about satellite griefing. Um, so this is not a published item or anything like that. Uh, I noticed a lot of people have uh, have been kind of mentioning problems on the FM birds, and this particular one was uh, when uh, Jeff was there with his daughter trying to work the AO92 pass, and he couldn't because some lid had got on there and keyed up with his high-powered FM rig and locked the bird up. Uh, so nobody could talk over him. So, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't know how, like, how pervasive this is in uh, the FM satellite, uh, you know, repeater satellites, I guess you would call them. Um, but uh, I, I'm hearing more and more about problems on those FM birds, and I never really liked the idea of them myself. But, uh, um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> what do you guys think? Oh, it seems ridiculous that somebody would do something as low as, you know, these – these satellites, as they pass over, they have really short passes at most, maybe 15 to 20 minutes as they pass over a given area. And I know from the people who work these satellite passes that it's really hard because they're usually very busy and to get a contact in, you really have to try and work at them. So for somebody to kind of have the time and energy to to block uh fm satellite pass just seems ridiculous to me um but some people are jerks some people are jerks and you know i hopefully it wasn't i don't know if this was just a one-time thing but you know maybe it was just a, <laughs> a matter of somebody sitting on his you know 100 watt amplifier while he you know he was sitting on the microphone in his car just blocking out the pass or something i don't know but I'm assuming it was deliberate, because uh, I would imagine you would have to follow the path of the satellite in order to block it for the entire pass. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it just seems ridiculous that somebody has enough, <laughs> you know, has the equipment, Some, somebody who's actually gone out and bought equipment to, to do this, it just seems stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seems obnoxious. So. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, don't, don't do, do it. it. I mean, it's friends hard don't enough. Let friends do this either. <laughs> I mean, it's hard enough to make satellite contacts. I mean, just just by the nature of how they work. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Stop it! If you're gonna if you're gonna be a lid, go like drown yourself. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Get back on eighty. <laughs> Get on one hundred sixty meters, so you can only drown out people who are like next door to you. There you go. There's there's our, our resident uh, satellite guru K two kb2 ysi he just got on so he won't answer that question but let's uh let's move on to our open source topics all right very good well don can come back to that topic later if he wants to address uh lids on fm satellite but in the meantime we can move on to open source and bill can tell us 
since he's already talking, a little bit about Linux Mint's record month. Yeah, so uh, I got this from uh, from Clem here in the 2019 May report uh, for Linux Mint. Uh, Clem says that last month I mentioned the amazing amount of support we received from you, the many emails you sent us to tell us that you enjoyed our work and how great it felt. We need to move on from this and not feel overly confident about it. Blah, blah, blah. But in fact, we have never received that many donations in the past or from that many people in the same month. 868 people donated a total of $24,149 to the Linux Mint project. So uh, he went on uh, with the whole report, and obviously you can read the report. Uh, we have it linked in the show notes. But congratulations to them for for a record month of donations, and that's great that the project gets supported that well and that there was a, a lot of interest in it, as there is every time Microsoft throws out an update or <laughs> Mac de- decides to uh, stop supporting more hardware. Yeah, this is really good. We haven't talked about Mint much because we've been sort of focusing on Ubuntu in our own lives and uh, for our own custom distribution. Uh, but for a long time, we we're big fans of the mint project because they kind of took Ubuntu the way it was and made it a little bit better. And, uh, these donations should actually help them do some, some good development and, and bring mint kind of back to the way it used to be. I, I think they've fallen off a little bit in recent times and there, there was nothing that I saw in any of the more recent versions. I forget which one was the last one I used. I think 17. Uh, but the, at that point, the the mint repos didn't seem to add a whole lot to the experience to the linux experience for me so i kind of fell back out of using it uh but i guess we'll see what they can do uh with a little bit of additional support i, yeah. I know um uh, the, the folks at that that convention we were at a couple of weeks ago um <laughs> I, <laughs> I shall not be named yeah we, <laughs> Oh, no, there's Cheryl again. Yeah, there's Cheryl again. <laughs> the convention, which shall not be named, um, actually mentioned Linux Mint a lot. So uh, there's still yeah, quite a few Yeah, not necessarily in a positive manner either. I know there's a couple of people that were having problems with the latest iteration of uh, Linux Mint. Um, and I told them just to go back to Ubuntu. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there, it's obviously, I mean, Linux Mint's been around for a long while, and a lot of people love it, you know, just like uh, Peppermint, uh, you know, uh, distribution as well, which sits, again, on top of uh, Ubuntu. You know, those are great, great distros. Yep, absolutely. So we we will, in the next episode, have a, a distribution to try. It's not going to be Linux Mint, but it's certainly one you can check out. If you want to, it's based on Ubuntu, which is based on Debian, which means access to all the ham radio packages is really easy. So if it's something you want to try, you should go ahead and try it. All right. I'm going to try and read this next one, even though Bill put it in here. <laughs> so you can, nice. you can help me if I, if I screw this up. Somehow. I tried to clip out the nonsense. So, right. I, I see you're edit- editorializing. So, uh, so this is why divine the W3C proprietary standard question mark raised voice. Digital Rights Management, DRM, which has afforded a special kind of legal protection under Section 1201 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA. Under this rule, it's illegal to reverse engineer and re-implement code that has some connection with restricting access to copyrighted works. That means that once a product or service has a skin of DRM around it, the company that controls the DRM also controls who can make an interoperable product. That's where Google's web-dominating Chrome browser 
and its nominally free slash open cousin Chromium come in. These have become a de facto standard for web browsing, serving as the core for browsers like Microsoft Edge and Opera. And while you can use or adapt Chromium to your heart's content, your new browser won't work with the most internet video unless you license. Uh, let's try that again. Your new browser won't work with most internet video unless you license a proprietary DRM component called YDivine from Google. Prior to 2017, all W3C standards were free for anyone to implement, allowing free slash open browser developers to create their own rivals to the big company's offerings. But now. A key W3C standard requires a proprietary component to be functional, and that component is under Google's control, the iron fist of Google. And the company will not authorize free or open-source developers to use this component. Now we're finding out who the real evil is. Uh, This story came from Boing Boing. Boing Boing. We need a Boing Boing. Okay. Uh, So. Sound effect. What? That sounds like something out of China. Boing boing. Boing boing. boing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, you know, Wish or AliExpress or something. You know, boing no, boing. No, no. Yeah. Boing boing boing's actually been around for quite a while. I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> So, yeah, I know what we're talking about. Especially, you know, the Iron Fist of Google. Yeah, so this is interesting. I did not know about this. The W3C proprietary standard. So, I. Did you? I didn't read the story. Obviously, I just read what you clipped in here. But does the W3C go along with this proprietary licensing of a standard, or are they trying to do something about it? Oh, I see nothing being done about it. I think that's the point of the article was to basically bring uh, you know that to the forefront that people are probably not aware is going on. Um, of course, you know, not many people will care either. So. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I just thought it was a, an interesting thing here. It looks like our stream is not working. Oh, no. Are you, are you on that? Let's see here. <laughs> I forgot to start the stream. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Sorry, peoples. <laughs> really? This is why we record it, maybe. <laughs> oh, God. Are we recording? We are, we are recording, yes. All right. <laughs> why didn't anybody say anything for crying out loud they're all sitting in their chat room we've been talking their asses off for a half an hour asking people to like please input stuff like if you're in the chat room let us know and no one's been hearing anything (laughs) (laughs) i was playing music earlier and everyone's like oh okay i just figured everything was hunky dory well guess what (laughs) oh man that's our lives okay (laughs) So, yeah, so I think there's more research that needs to be done into that topic, and uh, we'll just uh, I would just leave it at that. But in, in this whole story, I kind of ran across this other browser that I wanted to kind of mention, and, and it's called Dissenter. Have you heard this one before? I have not heard this one before. Dissenter sounds like an interesting name for a browser. Yeah, yeah Dissenter is a meet the free speech web browser. The Dissenter web browser is built for the people, not advertisers. Big block tech ads and uh, block big tech ads, sorry, and trackers by default discover a comment section on every URL online. And welcome to the free speech internet. And what this basically is, is a fork of the Brave browser, which uh, you probably heard of. Yes, I have heard of that one. Yeah, that one I, I was never really that impressed with. Um, so I wouldn't really recommend it to people <laughs> just because usability wise, it was kind of not, not 
not stellar. Um, but I have installed this one. This is uh, this actually runs pretty slick. It looks well. Obviously, it's it's still kind of built on uh, the Chrome under underlines. So the the same WebKit and everything else that you're used to running. So rendering is not a problem. Um, it does have uh, all the built-in ad blocking stuff, and that does work. If you're already using a pie hole, obviously this would be redundant. But if you're looking for another option for a browser that is not specifically tied to a big parent vendor, uh, you might want to take a look at this. And I think it's kind of tied up to, uh, well, it is for sure, tied up with the uh, gab.com thing, which I believe is a social media uh, tool as well. Gab, like G-A-B? Yeah, G-A-B. I'm not familiar with that either. Yeah, the social network that champions free speech, individual liberty, and the free flow of information online. So there's more information that you guys need to go check out. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about the browser, and, and uh, I'm using it right now, so it, it does work pretty uh, pretty slick. I haven't given up the you know the big Chromium because obviously, or the big Chrome because <clears throat> I'm a you know Google fanboy. But uh, <laughs> I figure I, they they've already sold my data. I've been on there for at least uh, 16 years. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to use a browser called Dissenter just because of the name. That's a great thing. I like it. Yeah, I think the project on GitHub, which we link here as well, uh, I think the project name was something pretty cool, too. Uh, I'm just loading it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and we were oh, wondering Defiant. why. Oh, Defiant. Defiant browser. Oh, that's yeah. even better. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ted in the chat room said he thought we were still waiting for Cheryl. That's why the stream was Nice. Uh, and I'm yeah, sure he's been here for like an hour. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. You didn't hear all the good stuff. You'll have to listen to it in the uh, recorded version. So. Yeah. By the way, Cheryl was making deviled eggs for Russ. So. Yeah. Yep. She did. She she very much but, did. But she forgot the paprika. She did forget the paprika. I so, forgot the smoke so paprika. Screw that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll never make them again. That's okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, All I do right. blame Ted on this one. So, <laughs> well, he's it, been here the whole time. It didn't say a darn word. I know he didn't say a thing. It's like he waited till nine o'clock, and then we're like, hey, "How did it even come to pass start? that the stream was up or not up? Was it was it Don who said something? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don. The stream is not yeah, opening just... for me. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Don, for <laughs> yeah waking the rest of the room. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh boy. One of those days. Anyway, let's let's move on. It we always have, is. It sure is. It's it's a Monday. That's yeah, the problem. Exactly. Which is why we should never record on Monday. Well, that would Bill would be happy. Bill would be Woo-hoo. happy. <laughs> but that would really cut into us going to brunch on Sundays. Well, no, we could be back in time to record. Well, we could. Yeah. How long does your brunch last? Jesus. Yeah, well, we're usually done around two in the afternoon. So I mean. Yeah, we yeah, left here at what ten o'clock yesterday morning. Got home at. 315 yeah we, we have that. to drive almost two hours to go to brunch though so no it's not yeah. it's an hour it was an hour and 45 minutes uh, in your dreams it was <laughs> was it not no, it's like an hour and 20 minutes okay but yeah anyway enough about brunch let's talk about some malware <laughs> let's talk about some malware i saw this i saw a couple of sources on this particular story when i was browsing around the intertubes and this is actually a mashup of the two stories that are linked in the show notes. 
so I'm just going to read this the way I wrote it, and hopefully it actually makes sense. Uh, meet Hidden Wasp, the new Linux malware. And yes, there is Linux malware. Security researchers have found a new strain of Linux malware that appears to have been created by Chinese hackers and has been used as a means to remotely control infected systems. Named Hidden Wasp, this malware is composed of a user mode rootkit, a Trojan, and an initial deployment script. Security professionals can help their organizations defend against threats like Hidden Wasp by using artificial intelligence to spot digital attacks that might succeed in evading rule-based security measures. Additionally, organizations should use a Unified Endpoint Management, or UEM, tool to monitor their endpoints for suspicious activity that could be indicative of malware. And I thought that was interesting. There's a lot of talk about what this malware does, and it, like it said in here in this blurb, it's about controlling remote systems. It's not about um, logging or creating zombie nets or stuff like that. It can be used, uh, you know, additionally once remote control is obtained to create DDoSs and so on and so forth. But it's kind of different in the world of Linux malware, and there's a lot more information out there about it. I've cited the two articles that I got this from, but I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about Hidden Wasp um, in the days to come. And the interesting thing about this is they talk about the fact that normal IDS-type detection or normal firewalls don't necessarily protect against this kind of thing, and you have to use specialized techniques to ferret it out and find out if you've been infected by it. So, beware. Yeah, yeah I, I heard this pop up, too, the other day. Uh, must have been must have been just yesterday. I heard it on one of the podcasts talking about it. And, uh, yeah, it's like, it's, it's it's very new. It's getting past stuff. And it's not like your typical, uh, you know, Bitcoin miner or something like that that gets injected into your system. You know, it definitely is for a full system control. Um yeah, I mean, you know, we're not Linux is not immune to malware, it's not immune to viruses, it's not immune to any type of attacks, you know, denial of service, what have you. Uh we're just a very small target. Right. And that's security by obscurity is part of the thing that's helped us quite a bit, but there has been Linux malware for some time and new stuff is coming around as more Linux gets injected into things. And of course we've there have been stuff that has affected like embedded systems and infotainment systems and things like that where Linux is more prevalent. So it's out there. It's just something we're going to have to be a little more vigilant about going forward. All right. So moving on from open source topics, we're going to talk about Linux in the ham shack. And Bill has an interesting story about the latest version of WSJTX, the version that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just checking my uh my email to see if uh that has changed, but uh let's just go ahead and hit it. Uh WSJTX uh, 2.1.0 release candidate 6 was released and I was very excited to go check it out cuz they had just changed it and deprecated the existing FT4 and telling everybody you will have to switch out you know to do this next uh this next uh mock contest session and uh I went to go download it, and all of a sudden I realized it was gone. <laughs> it had been pulled. Apparently, it was suffering from a crippling bug, which causes the software to segfault on load. And uh, I, I kind of put here that regression testing is important. And apparently, uh, it kind of wigs out on on some of the log files if it has like a small log file when it should have none, or if it uh, had a big log file. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's kind of random. I'm not really sure what they changed in the in the file handling aspect of the software, but obviously something was not happy uh, about it. They did have a uh, uh, an FT4 uh, mock contest session planned for the uh, hours of uh, June 4th, uh, 1900 UTC through June 5th, 0100 UTC. Um, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen now. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the site real quick. WSJTX, WSJTX. Let's see if we have a new download. I'm assuming we'll have R R S release candidate seven RC seven. Is there RC seven? Yes, RC seven is out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so let's just take all that back. Go download RC seven. It was just released right now. <laughs> <laughs> sometime today when we record this podcast it was actually released so yeah that will be the version that they're actually going to use there are builds out for uh, debian rpm based systems and raspbian so uh <clears throat> if you got an arm based system you can also uh, get the latest test session and they say that it's going to be too early to actually use ft4 for uh, field day coming up real field day that we've been talking about earlier. So, uh, you know, still hold on to that FT8 if uh, you're going to go ahead and use uh, digital in uh, in field day. Don't don't expect FT4 to be <coughs> oh, excuse me. Don't don't expect FT4 to be actually used um, in any high high amount. Only cuz it'll still be in release candidate builds most likely by that point. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you could probably try it out, which I'm sure some people will. But assume that FT8 is going to be the mode you're going to use during field day. All right. That'll be kind of interesting, actually, to use FT8 during field day. It will be the first field day that, if I participate in, where that mode will be used by me. Um, It's a great mode for making contacts, and we're going to watch those point totals skyrocket, probably. They should probably only award like an eighth of a point for FT8 contacts or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would fall under a digital, so it would probably get extra points. Yeah, I know. And you can make contacts so quickly. It's ridiculous. But anyway. All right, check that out. So Release Candidate 7 has been released. So thanks for that non-story, Bill. (laughs) uh, Anyway. So I did throw in one more thing I found on our friends over at the Southgate ARC's website. And I thought this would be kind of interesting because we've talked about FreeDV in the past. Apparently, there's a new version of FreeDV, and the first on-air test of FreeDV 2020 has just happened. David Rowe, VK5DGR, reports on the first on-air test of the new digital voice mode, FreeDV 2020. He reports, quote, Brad, AC0JZ, JZ, ZJ, wow, Brad, Alpha Charlie Zero, Zulu Juliet, (laughs) And Richard KF5OIM and I have been putting the pieces required for the new FreeDV 2020 mode, which uses LPCNet neural net speech synthesis technology developed by Jean-Marc Vallin. The goal of this mode is 8 kilohertz audio bandwidth in just 1600 hertz of RF bandwidth. FreeDV 2020 is designed for HF channels where SSB and armchair copy SNRs are better than 10 dB and slow fading. Okay, that's weird. That doesn't read it. And I caught and pasted this, too. <laughs> you caught and pasted it? I caught and pasted it. I caught Yeah. Let's see. The goal of this mode is 8 kHz bandwidth in just 1600 Hz of RF bandwidth. 
Um, FreeDV 2020 is designed for HF channels where SSB probably is an armchair copy. SNRs are better than 10dB and slow fading. Real continues, Mark, VK5QI, has made a 3,200-kilometer FreeDV transmission from Adelaide, South Australia, to a Kiwi SWR in the Bay of Islands, New Zealand. He decoded it with the partially working OSX version. We do most of our development on Ubuntu Linux, says Dave. So, very cool. I'd be interested to try FreeDV 2020 when it comes out. I've, I've had trouble actually getting contacts made on FreeDV in general, because there just so seem to be a whole lot of people using it. But it's an interesting technology, and it's interesting to find out that they're using neural net speech synthesis. That sounds very technical. Yeah, I wonder uh, if that's better than Mumble. <laughs> it probably is. Maybe we, you know, maybe we should Does just it have use crackle? Their, <laughs> we can. Maybe he needs to put out just like a chat client, uh, an internet chat client, using his speech <laughs> synthesis technology, and not even worry about the amateur radio part of it. Just so we yeah, can exactly. have something that doesn't crackle when you speak loudly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're going to get letters from the mumble people, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> maybe they just need to teach us how to use it properly. Maybe I guess. so. Maybe there's something we need to do. Maybe we need to d- use a different codec because it defaults to Opus, but maybe we need to use something else. Maybe it's Opus. That's- maybe it's not mumble. Yeah, it could be. I mean, but like I say, there's like at least three or four other podcasts that use Mumble, and they all have the occasional crackle, too. Right. And it doesn't even matter. Like, you even have it on your source record, which, you know, takes the network out of it completely. It's just really the codec. So Yeah, I wonder wonder if it's Opus, because Opus tries to do high compression, so it could be. Anyway, this is cool. FreeDV 2020 on the move. That should be uh, out if it's not out already. Maybe a release candidate out there. I didn't check to see if it's being uh, published yet. Uh, but it definitely should be available soon. And this is a really interesting project. Dave has done a lot of work in the audio world. And uh, getting 8 kilohertz of audio bandwidth into 1.6 kilohertz of RF bandwidth is pretty impressive, actually. Uh, and making it intelligible. So. All right, and with that, we are down to the end of our stories for episode number 287, so we're going to try and recruit, 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 (laughs) recruit. All right. Wow. Okay. How much have you been smoking today? Jeez. I I haven't been smoking anything. I've been drinking, though. Hang on. Oh, that's Yeah, I'll let him get another sip of his drink. drink, Have another one. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to mention real quick, since you broke that up anyway, uh, that there is for, uh, this is mentioned at the bottom of that particular post, that for the adventurous, there actually is a build out there on our favorite uh, GitHub for the for the 2020 version if you wanted to kind of play around with it and it's under the tree of brad-2020 in the free dv uh gui uh project so you can check that out if you want all right very good you'll have to build it from source i would guess but if you're if you're not faint of heart and you want to try out the new codec give it a shot and with that (coughs) Charles had to hack. All right. Well, good. Are you done hacking now so you can read? Uh, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's just not even All right. there. And with that, we're down to our social media roundup. So hopefully Cheryl can get through this because it's a fairly long list. I will say right off the bat that we did not include all of the people who signed up 
on the mailing list at that conference we're not yeah, mentioning. Yeah, we're not mentioning, right. Uh, so um, we're not going to include those here. We'll, we'll figure out how to include those because there, there were was a lot. lot of them, yeah. <laughs> right. So we're going to skip that for now, but we're going to hit everything else. So Okay. Gonna... So starting off the list with the Patreons, we have Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Redder, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gever, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. <coughs> so apparently I'm going to need to cough between each one. For subscriptions, we have Michael Bradak, Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have Roy Ward, Stuart Tankersley, Paul Andrews, Michael Warren, and Christopher Rowan. For Twitter, we have at Mountain Dulcimer, at 3DB Down, at J, or excuse me, at WJ5FF, at Eric D. Wilt, at Technovents, at DX Station Forum, at J. Phoebus, at Jim Cook, or excuse me, Jim underscore Cook, at Seghacks, at PY2ZA, at Fabakery Jabang1, at By Inno Power, at KD4IIW, at VY2HF, at EKI Meyer AC, at N5VDC, at Stock Tweetsman, at Lamb Aropulus, at VE3VVS, at NXLog underscore team, at N8XRV, and at Yoda Region 2. For YouTube, we have Jaron Crane, Jim Harris, Nisbet Samuel, John Amdor, at Mr. Gary Vick, Michael Wolf, and N8XRV. No one joined our mailing list, which is alive from what Russ just said. <laughs> and we have no merchandise sales. All right. We got through that list. That was quite a long one because we haven't done one of those in a little bit. Maybe we should do like half of a page over the next several. Yeah, I mean, that, we'll, that we'll break like it up so we can hit. people or something. Yeah, so. we'll hit as many. I mean, we'll hit them all. We'll just, it's going to take a while because yeah, it's a long list. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we should probably switch on over to the chat room and mention the folks who are in there even though they were listening and we weren't broadcasting for a little while but <laughs> that's where they failed us i know they did our listeners have failed us i'm so ashamed it's all right <laughs> or something uh but we had ted waz0eir fred n2nrv and don kb2ysi join us in the chat room and listening to us on the live stream tonight and there is information on the website and via Twitter every time we record if you want to join us live in the chat room and live on the recording stream. So make sure to check that out for future episodes. And 
coming up, we have episode number 288, which will be out in a few days, and it will be our weekender edition. But this has been episode number 287 of Linux in the Ham Shack, and we'll catch you all for the next one. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at urlbctsinfo LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.